Welcome to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019, in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. I'm Jack Demonetes, and for the final time of this World Cup, I'm joined by Samuel Lovett of the Independent and Duncan Beck of Press Association. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. And we've just kind of regrouped, I think, regained our emotions from what was what what kind of Rugby World Cup final would we say it disappointing or deflating maybe um, from an English point of view I think that would be some of the words you would use for what was a very disappointing night in Yokohama for, for me it was deflating I think it's the most deflated I've ever felt in, in a work sense and uh, it was amazing I mean just just once a game had finished or shortly after we go to the press conference I've never felt so much energy drain from me on a personal level it was not that England lost it was the way they lost um, they just didn't turn up they didn't fire a shot it was uh, panicky so much went wrong the scrum was just unthinkably bad yeah. um, so I think that's the that's why it was so deflating for me it was a manner of defeat rather than the fact they lost it was almost this is worse it's harder to take than had they gone down fighting against the All Blacks in the semi-finals so uh, yeah, difficult afternoon. I mean, we've built, built it up so much, haven't we? Um, and, you know, in the past week, we've seen the performance against New Zealand, seen how good they were. We, we knew that they had that sort of performance in the tank. And then when it came to the big day, it was, they just completely went missing, didn't they? So for me, I think that was perhaps what was particularly disappointing, yeah. just to see them fall so short when we know that they, they are capable of so much more. It was all the more surprising because they're all blacks victory in the semi-finals wasn't it that, that performance was among we've hailed it as among the best we've mm. ever seen at a World Cup but it was almost from minute one you, you knew that England weren't at the races I mean just to do a, a quick recap for anyone that, that didn't see the final England conceded a penalty in the first minute straight away and Andre Pollard actually missed that one but he goes on to score 22 points England lose Carl Sinclair to a an awful concussion that was one of the worst head collisions I've, I've seen in, in rugby and that was in the third minute so straight away Dan Cole's got to go 77 minutes against two brutally powerful props in Tendai Matawira and then Stephen Kitchoff so he's struggling straight away England can see penalty after penalty after penalty and it was almost a good result for them to get to half time at 12-6 you know, I, I think they could have been off a lot worse off than that South Africa didn't take their chances in the first half, but then England go about clawing their way back in, get to 15-12, you're thinking the tide's turned, Owen Farrell misses a penalty, Andre Pollard kicks one, gets to 18-12, game just slips away, England try it a little bit, and there you have tries for Makasoli, Mafimpi and Cheslin Colby, two, I must say, brilliant tries, I thought they were yeah. incredible to watch, and a bit of a up yours from the spring box to the critics that said, you can't play that rugby. Well, they just went out there and yeah. said they can play both brands of rugby. And the, but if we, if, let's talk about England first. Let's do the first half on where it went wrong for them, because then we can properly pay tribute to the Springboks afterwards. Mm. Duncan, uh, let, let's compare and contrast what they did well against New Zealand. They won, won every collision, dominated the forward battle, dominated the backs. They never went backwards in a collision, really. Compared to, did they win one? against the Springboks it felt I like mean, they didn't everything they did right against the All Blacks they did wrong against South Africa and it was uh, I mean against against New Zealand you say there was not a single department of the game that England didn't dominate and that went into full reverse complete reverse against South Africa um, and I think the, the most painful of all would be the scrum 
when Eddie Jones took the job, he said he wanted to build the England team around the set piece. The set piece was to be the foundation, mainly the scrum, but also the line-out as well. So to see it fall apart in that fashion when it was needed most in the World Cup final was pretty demoralising. And he didn't seem to have any answers for it whatsoever, nor did forwards coach Steve Borthwick. I mean, apart from the office, apart from Dan Cole came on and Matuera, the beast, had a superb, superb game. But... Um, it's still baffling, really. And I, I don't really remember, while not certainly in this World Cup cycle, Mako Vinopolo having such a bad game in the scrum. I mean, Franz Malherb had him on toast in the first half to the point that Eddie Jones took him off, you know, with half an hour to go, yeah. more than half it an just, hour to it go. It just left England so vulnerable, didn't it? Um, it was the, the platform, which the Springboks, their whole game was sort of built around that, wasn't it? Um, just it's always been such a hallmark of the English game hasn't it you know the scrum so to see it just completely marmalised <laughs> in, in that way and marmalised in the final <laughs> the most critical stage yeah. of all is uh, yeah it's a killer it just makes it a little embarrassing doesn't it I know it's not a word you want to use to sum up England's campaign because the campaign on the whole has been hugely successful they've, they've gone beyond expectations but to get to the final in such dominant fashion and then to fall short it does almost feel a little bit embarrassing for the players, at least, that they'll know that they didn't show their best, and that's probably the most disappointing thing. But I was going to say, do you think there could have been perhaps a you know, sliding doors moment when Farrell missed that kick? Was it his third or fourth kick? But it felt like momentum was slowly creeping back into the English game, and, and if that had gone over, maybe perhaps that could have been the moment to kind of inspire England to re-energise them to get that, that belief back because it was evident from the start that it was missing so had that perhaps gone over that could have yeah. it, it did feel like a, a huge moment you know 15 all is much better than 18-12 yeah. and from 18-12 with 15 minutes on the clock England were chasing the game and knew they were and that's where we saw their, their game plan completely mm. collapse on them they were throwing passes that they shouldn't have coughing up possession I, I, that's one thing that I, I kind of Saw and just thought that sums this game up. Henry Slade at the end, just trying to force it a little bit, gets tackled by Malcolm Marks and the ball pops out. And that just wasn't happening last week. You know, all those little collisions, the ball stuck for England, the passes went to hand. There were so many poor passes in that game. You just kind of felt something's not right here mentally. Yeah, completely. I mean, the forcing of the attack, which kind of led to both, both of South Africa's tries, were a result of the, the dreadful start they made. And we had we saw I think it was Owen Farrell passing from behind his post with Billy flinging out a pass from deep inside their own half and Ben Young a little bit later on just threw out into touch so it was completely wild. And that passing. wasn't even close that pass was it? <laughs> I mean they were, they were rattled and it, you know the big question is why did they start so poorly? And of course they were 20 minutes late getting to the to the stadium because of traffic. Uh, did that have an impact? I mean they certainly spent came out onto the pitch late for the warm up, the pre match warm up. So. Maybe that played on their minds, who knows? But the big question is, why did they start so poorly? Because it was a card that is completely opposite to how they were against the All Blacks, which was a ferocious start, and they scored was it after a couple, two, three minutes yeah. with uh, Manu. Losing Sinclair as well must have landed a serious psychological blow for Team Yui. He's such a key member of the squad, he's got such a key role at the scrum. I know, obviously, Dan Cole, he's got a wealth of experience, but, but to lose someone like Sinclair so early on, it, it will hurt um, but Eddie Jones said at the end well it might have been before you know he, he's got 23 players all different psychologies all different sort of state of minds sometimes it can be the case that those 
uh, state of minds don't necessarily align on the day and for that reason it's just not meant to be I think one thing that struck me in the mix zone talking to the players after a lot of them did not want to blame that the loss of Sinclair uh, as part of the defeat but I, I think partly of that is to protect him because we know he's an emotional mm. man and you know, how, how can he at all be blamed for a nasty concussion you, know, you, you can't no, ever put that on the player but you've also got to consider that all of his teammates out there are human beings and as human beings you've got that feeling deep down inside of you that when you see a player go down like that you will have concern it's mm. natural to have concern and you almost need a certain mental character or resilience to put that out of your head that maybe maybe they haven't got yet maybe, maybe they just as part of the, the education of this team they will learn that but certainly watching on from the stands there was a part of me that really feared for Sinclair I, I thought he was badly hurt yeah. we saw him unconscious we saw him fencing which is when you know your brain's no longer in control of your body and as soon as you start talking about words like that you're thinking this is serious so how much his teammates have felt just in those those few minutes where he was being treated and not moving you do, you do get worried and it's very hard as a human being to switch off from that let alone a, a rugby player in the heat of the final to then switch back on and be ready to go against the Springboks who will not give that a moment of thought they won't be looking at that yeah sure I mean he, he received lengthy medical treatment didn't he there's there quite a few medics on the pitch mm. it looked like it's going to be stretched off at one point I think play last stopped for about five minutes and, and I know he's not their teammate but South Africa just restarted immediately you know, just fired straight back into yeah. England it was like nothing had happened to them whereas for England if it had impacted them then it made a difference but uh, I just think the way South Africa right from the first as soon as the ball was kicked off they, they dominated even that first before, tackle they dominated yeah, didn't they? even before Carl was knocked out in that way So and they lost two key players as well didn't they yeah. early on coming yeah. to forwards uh, and they carried on Ludo Jäger was arm dangling yes, down yeah. his side as he, as he troops off yeah. so they carried on in exact same manner they they moved on from it they were able to rally there should be a little bit of praise for the Springboks there as well with, uh, the hooker Bongi Mbanambi suffered a head injury uh, and was determined to stay on and there was a big hoo-ha on, on the touchline where he was trying to go on he was refusing to go for an yeah. HIA and whether it was the Springboks medics or the independent medics but they stood him down and they just said look no chance we've seen you you've got clear signs of concussion yeah. you're not going on it was the independent doctor stood him down and said I think you've been knocked out and I think that had been spotted so that, that's why there's no HIA you have to say straight away yeah. well done to him yeah exactly yeah. That, that's been a huge contentious issue over the last few years how many times have we spoken about that so to see that actually in practice well done to, well done to that man yeah so let's look a little later in the game England throw on their replacements um, Joe Marler let's discuss him possibly his last England outing we don't know yet he, he hasn't confirmed anything as such but he, he really turned the scrum around and it? That, mm. that's almost where England's rejuvenation came from a little bit in the second half wasn't it yeah definitely he came he initially brought on George Cruz at half time the praise Courtney Laws just to provide a bit more balance Cruz is a heavier lot than, than Laws that didn't really work but bringing Joe Marler on did have a big difference on the scrum however the scrums are starting to dry up at that stage so it was a almost too little too late but I mean how do you bring how do you take Mako Vunipola off earlier in the game even if your, your scrum's getting missed so he, he did make a difference um, unfortunately the set piece was less of an issue at that point and then I think it was shortly after um, Pidley scored that, that try and it was superbly yeah. taken wasn't it it was just it was a perfectly executed try the hint of a forward pass in the build up but 
It was uh, great to see. Jack mentioned it earlier, but it was slightly ironic that so much talk had been made of the physicality of the Springboks and how this was a, a yeah. game that was going to be decided in the arm wrestle when in reality it was sort of the class and brilliance of their wingers and the smallest men on the pitch who, who, who made the difference. Um, that was the game, that was the, the aspect that, that won it for, for South Africa, wasn't yeah. it? We, we do. always thought that England had more out wide. We'd certainly seen that England had more out wide at this World Cup and all you expected was this forward-dominated approach from, from South Africa. But when it mattered most in the final, you had these two brilliantly constructed tries scored by the, uh, by the wings. So, I mean, they, they, they won that side of the game as mm. well. Yeah. Do, do we think that England have managed to get the best out of their back three? I think Johnny Mays had this niggling hamstring injury that, that, that definitely affected him against the New Zealand, but yeah. may still have affected him here. He was taken off as well for Jonathan Joseph late in the game. I don't think really they've got the best out of him, Watson and Daly. I mean, Watson's looked really lively, yet he hasn't scored a try. And you wonder, well, have, have they brought him into the game well? And is that part of the process of having Manu Tuolagi in the centre? So it just means you don't get the ball out as much from 13 to, to the back three. I think there needs to be a rethink of Elliot Daly at fullback, for sure. He's a, he's a superb player and he's got to be starting somewhere most likely on the wing or maybe even outside centre but he's not a fullback and um, that's, that was proved yesterday in the final it's been a long held suspicion amongst a lot of us Eddie's persisted with it feeling that what he offers on, in counter attack is is uh, just too good to, to miss out on but I think he was exposed yesterday and Johnny May ha- has the World Cup hasn't really taken off from this time he's done, he's done pretty well he scored two tries in the quarter final uh, but it wasn't the Johnny May we saw in the Six Nations in the previous autumn and then Andy Watson he's, he's played well I mean you always give him he's been, he breaks tackles he makes ground he looks for work but you're right he's not he's not scored tries and that that is a bit of an issue well we ended up uh, staying up late in the lo- hotel lobby last night tapping away and eating burgers uh, I, don't, I don't know about that <laughs> there, there may have been a burger <laughs> But McDonald's the first McDonald's for four months, Jack. Is that shameful? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, we were having this discussion, and part of it was, if you don't play daily at 15, who do you play? Because we remember the big clamour for Anthony Watson to start at fullback, I think before the 2018 Six Nations, and Eddie tried it, and it didn't go that well. He was shaky under the high ball and then got injured and had that long-term injury. Does he go back to trying Watson, or is there anyone else to stand up? I mean, that game yesterday was perfect for Mike Brown, I thought. You know, someone who is defensively sound will not get beaten in a one-on-one. Daly was so out of position in the first try that he didn't even get close to making a tackle, let alone fielding the kick that was put over. So, who, who do we go for? Because Eddie's already said he wants to build for the future. Now, Mike Brown's not the make the next World Cup you'd say so do you stick with Daly and hope he improves do you go back to Watson and hope he's improved his game or is there anyone else out there I think Watson I think it needs to be Watson for the for the time being I think he needs a kind of run and show of faith that that Daly's had at fullback I mean he, he has I think he played two or three times at fullback but it's not a year long start uh, year long run of starts that Daly's been given um, and he played he played at fullback during the warm-up series and he was pretty good he, he looks more solid, more at home. He knows the position, so I'd give. I think it's time for him to, to have a go outside of Anthony Watson. I'm not sure where you start to look. I mean, I was going to say expanding the topic outwards a little bit. Do does Eddie Jones, assuming he, you know, he's still in the, still in the job, 
use the Six Nations um, next year as a, a means to experiment to find those aspects of the team which are slightly weak, vulnerable, try and improve them in the section of the Six Nations without sort of using, uh, wanting to you know, go all out and claim victory. Is that what he should, his focus should be, do you think? Oh, it's, it's difficult. If, if he's only... If it's confirmed, I mean, we'll find out about what's going to happen with his future, but if his contract is only for a further two years, it then becomes very difficult because how would he build for the World Cup in four years' time if yeah. your contract's ending in two years and therefore it all becomes about results? So then you sort of discard building for the future and yeah. look at those vulnerable true, areas yeah. you were talking about. So they England seem to be caught two stores, you know, between two stores at the moment. You either contract him up to the next World Cup mm. or you get someone else in. So... We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But I think moving forward, then we've already seen that Eddie's willing to sacrifice the next three years to focus on the World Cup. So who knows who he's going to select? He may be looking even further down the ranks than we're thinking of, and looking at your 18, 19 year olds, maybe even younger, because of what Tom Curry and Sam Underhill have done here. But I think overall, we can sum it up as an impressive campaign I mean it, it's nice to have a bit of pride back in English rugby isn't it that's been missing at World yeah. Cup level for so long now that yeah. I mean, you even think back to 2007 that team that got to the final and again lost to the Springboks they, they still weren't playing a really attractive brand of rugby that went out there and dominated the opponent I think what this team has done is the closest thing we've seen to the 2003 heroes that, that, that has happened since so you've really got to commend them for that and try not to beat them up too much with it but it just ended on a very disappointing note yeah agreed 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 yeah well that's all for part one uh, join us after the break where we'll be discussing the newly crowned world champions as we delve into the Springboks heroic victory and look at what's next for Razi Erasmus and his team Welcome back to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. We're now going to discuss the world champions, South Africa, and if you remove the, the English focus that we all have to take from it, this is the fairy tale story, isn't it? You know, 24 years after Nelson Mandela stood there giving the Web Ellis Cup to Francois Pinar, uniting a nation, black and white, standing together in a country that had been so divided in its history. We now have the first ever black Springboks captain, Sia Khaleesi, lifting the same trophy. And you just think, that moment in 95 was built to create moments like this. You know, this is essentially what Mandela dreamed of seeing. Albeit, he's sadly not here to see it, but you can, you can be sure that that moment will have been in a lot of South Africans' minds when Khaleesi lifted the, the trophy. And to hear his teammates and the South Africans in the crowd chanting see ya see ya see ya as he was lifting it I thought really special and it, it, it really made me thankful to be there in the moment that you got to soak that up and almost made it easier even as an Englishman watching that I, I did not feel any sorrow there because it was just a particularly special moment yeah I, I felt pleased for Khaleesi to be honest I mean I remember seeing him belting out the national anthem his sort of head tilted back backwards and you know singing as loudly as he could he's a superb player um, I remember when he was walking into the press conference room just, just felt happy for him really and almost for South Africa although I mean, if you take my fact I'm an England fan outside of the job I'm an England fan so obviously I would have, I would have wanted 
England to win as, as a fan, but seeing South Africa win it and what it can mean for them, I think sometimes it's over-talked a bit about this uniting a nation. It's, it is a sport, it does mean a lot, and there is an awful lot of um, issues within it, but it was superb to yeah. see. Erasmus acknowledged that, didn't he? In his uh, press conference, he talked about how, for 80 minutes at least, people from different backgrounds, different creeds, colours, political views, they can come together, share a beer over barbecue, for 80 minutes agree where they usually disagree. Um, I thought that was a, a really touching, profound moment. Um, and it was the same message from all of the players, a message of hope. Um, like I said, we can't over-talk it too much because South Africa is, it is still one of the most unequal countries in the world and along racial lines as well so what this match can mean for the country you would think hope it, it is the first point um, and from there we'll see what progress is achieved particularly along the sporting lines um, look back in 1995 one black player in the team 2007 two and now there's 11 in, in the squad so there's progress particularly on sporting lines um, but at the end of the day, yeah, your hat's got to go off for what they've achieved and what Khaleesi's achieved. I think the good thing about this squad as well is those black players are there on merit, aren't they? Absolutely. Two try scores were both. Exactly. Yeah. They were so pivotal yesterday. Yeah. And, and even Lucanio Am, you know, he, he set up that, that first try. He's had a really strong tournament and made that 13 shirt his own. The beast. I mean, he had, he had the game scrum on life. toast. We, yeah. we, we didn't think that... Great saying, by the way. Absolute great saying. <laughs> We didn't think he could surpass what he did in 2009, that first test in the Lions Tour. I think what he did yesterday at 34 years old, he did that. I think, I think that was the best performance of his career. Mm-hmm. And to do it against an established and strong front row like England, you think, wow, do you take your hat off to him? Yeah. He, even Bongi Mbanambi, he, he's displaced Malcolm Marks. Malcolm Marks a year ago was the best hooker on the planet, and now he can't get in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just think it, it's relieving to see the this team is diverse on merit and not on quotas as has happened in the past as, as we know so that, that was also part of the, the warm feeling I had inside of me that this actually means something the, the rainbow nation actually means something through this victory um, but I remember I mean just on, on that theme I remember covering the, the South Africa tour in 2018 and that was when Khaleesi was named captain for the first time so South Africa's first black test captain in you had him running out in Bloemfontein. You had the beast running out in uh, Bloemfontein. And of course, Bloemfontein is Afrikaner's sort of heartland in South Africa. To hear the crowd, which was a, still a predominantly white Afrikaans crowd, shouting Khaleesi's name, shouting Beast's name, it did feel like something was changing within the team. The transformation before was this kind of necessity they had to go through. But you actually saw it working and people the fans, the supporters, the Springbok fans were kind of on board with what they were seeing and these players, like you said, were there on merit and they're performing exceptionally well and the, the fans are taken to them as well. So it was, I think that was that was where for me it started really kick in and that's where you started thinking, okay, something's happening here with mm. South Africa. And, and Razzie, that is not the country. Razi Erasmus has a lot to take credit yes, for that. Yeah. He won't take credit, very humble man, but you just think the way he got them back onto the rugby path. You know, Khaleesi was the first one to admit they were all focused on earning money through social media. But you think for a professional rugby player, that's alarming when that's your focus. And yeah. He just got them back focusing on rugby. But the Khaleesi Erasmus story is an incredible one. Khaleesi spoke at length about it last night, saying when he was a kid, he was just focused on where his next meal was coming from. He didn't have shoes. 
Uh, his, his mother died when, when he was you know, sort of a teenager, and then his grandmother that was looking after him, she passed away as well. And then at 18 years old, he, he gets spotted by Erasmus, who signs him up to the Stormers. He, he joins the academy, becomes a professional rugby player. You don't want to use the term rags to riches story because this is so much more than that. You know, you can't give a throwaway line to it. And then from there, from you know, not being able to eat to becoming the Springboks captain, and he flies his dad over to watch the game the first time he's ever left South Africa in his life. It's just such a magnificent story that you can write it. You, you can script it at all. Right? Just so touching yesterday to be a part of it. However small, just all 72,000 of us in that stadium and all even just played a little part of it I thought it was beautiful yeah and even England fans will begrudge him nothing because great great player and a great guy as well and it, what he's done means so much to the team and to the country so, so let, let's look at uh, the last eight weeks as a whole I think it's fair to say it's been, it's been a tough one it's been a slog but it's also been really enjoyable and Sam you were so excited to come out to Japan yes um, yeah. Just just talk us through a little bit about what it's been like for you. Oh, I mean, as we said at the start of the tournament, I sort of wandered off sort of the beaten track a little bit, staying in traditional hostels, uh, trying as much as possible to immerse myself in the local culture, pick up some of the language, which I've failed miserably, um, then try some of the local food. It's, it's been a wonderful experience and a real, real, real privilege to report on uh, for what is my first major sporting event um, what struck me and it's the, it's the same message that all the reporters will say is that just the hospitality of the, the local people the Japanese people they're so friendly so willing to help out um, and it really adds to the, the flavour and, and yeah, the specialness of the tournament I think Duncan you've done a few World Cups has it been monumentally different for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been utterly unique to any World Cup before. It's because Japan is obviously not a regular stop on, on the rugby circuit. Um, and it's, it's been special. It's been a special experience, one I'll never forget. Uh, I think, you know, congratulations, fair play to, to World Rugby. It was a bold decision to take it here. And I do think it's paid off. It's been a great tournament. It has taken it to a, a kind of a, not a new market, because Japan was already a pretty big uh, rugby market but it, it's, it's, they've tried to break they've tried to break new territory in a way um, and I think it's been fantastic it's been a fantastic tournament some great rugby it's not all been perfect but I think overall World Rugby have done a very good job of staging the World Cup here so they get kicked a lot <laughs> regularly by us yeah, but I think on, on something like this I think they've uh, they've done well so, it yeah. definitely and that's something that I, I want to touch on as, as we start to wrap this up uh, I, I genuinely feel this is the most important, possibly the best World Cup that there has been, better than the 95 World Cup because of what it can mean to the sport. We talk about 95 meaning so much for South Africa as a country and what it did for you know, Mandela and changing the way that that country operated and it was used as a catalyst for that. But for Rugby Union, I think this could be a groundbreaking moment. We, we've gone to what was described as a tier two nation and I don't think we're ever going to refer to Japan as tier two again there's now a genuine case for completely dismissing the tier one tier two argument because you have Japan you have Fiji who were brilliant in the pool stages they had that hiccup against Uruguay which came after their four day turnaround that's almost to be expected they made so many changes but 
imagine giving them a similar schedule to the big nations of a week break you give them three months preparation because they don't get that you give them a team that plays together regularly because they don't get that you give them a super rugby franchise in the pacific islands at least because they don't have that imagine how far that they could come on you know suddenly they become quarterfinal regulars not just there to upset the apple cart here japan in the quarterfinals brilliant not if you're scottish but hopefully that pushes scottish rugby on scotland know they now need to improve the same with ireland ireland got a bit found out this tournament that they thought they were there they they thought they were number ones maybe number twos in the world and everyone else has got a little bit better and they got caught with their pants down so hopefully we can end up with this scenario where tier one tier two is done and we just end up with 10 or 12 really strong nations playing rugby union we have a real world cup where there's genuine contenders there's upsets there's shocks drama from the very get-go and i think this tournament has been the closest to that because the pool stage yes we had some blowout wins but they weren't huge blowout wins and we had a lot more upsets and a lot more close calls so i'm i'm hoping this is a groundbreaking moment 2023 we're going to get there the game's even stronger we've got more nations competing and who knows maybe in the not so distant future a, a japan or a fiji win the world cup uh, that'd be fantastic to to report that yeah, the rise of japan has certainly given cause for hope um, it's been superb to see and the type of rugby they play is unique and it's it's a breath of fresh air for the game really whether you can advance beyond the quarterfinals with it i'm not sure but what they've brought to the game, the, the way they reached the quarterfinals, has been uh, has been really good. I mean, I think this uh, this has been a good World Cup because you had a number of teams that could have won it, and that was South Africa, obviously winners. England could have won it; they got to the final, All Blacks semi-finals, they're but they're always going to be in the mix. The way France played against Wales until they had the players sent off for the elbow, it was you'll suddenly look at them and thinking. They, they could do something yeah. until it all imploded in that very French way that it often does they're, they're going to be mighty in 2023 yeah. aren't they and the Wales if they hadn't had so many injuries it looked like they're running on empty towards the yeah. back end of the tournament if they hadn't had so many injuries they could really have done something as well so in that respect it's been a great tournament because you do have you did have a number of genuine contenders but I just hope the sport can push on from here rather than this sort of being the high point yeah, it has to really yeah yeah so let, to wrap it up, wrap up the, the entire campaign, let's um, pick out our favourite moment, rugby or non-rugby. Sam, oh. I'll, I'll, I'll come to you first. Put me on the spot here. <laughs> um, favourite moment? Uh, probably going to Kyoto. So this is non-work non related, managing to fit some time in to get away from the rugby, to head down to Kyoto and just to visit the city. What, what day was that that you went to Kyoto? Um, was there anything major going on that day? There might have been something major going on. But oh, of course, the first ever Rugby World Cup games to be cancelled. But you guys, ever. you guys had that covered, so you know <laughs> it was it was absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, a real a really special place. It, it's like sort of going back uh, going back in time a little bit. Um, the food there was fantastic. It's very, it was quite touristy, admittedly. But if you if you're able to sort of get away from all of those sort of hot spots, you could find some sort of real treasures in the city. Uh, so I'd recommend it if you guys have any time. <laughs> probably, <Duncan>. probably don't. <laughs> My favourite rugby moment, which I was present for, would, would have been, uh, it was undoubtedly England All Blacks. The way they demolished them was, was staggering. Martin Johnson described it as the, the best England performance and win of, of all time. No debate. And I don't think you can dispute that. I mean, and, and right from the start when we saw the, the way the hacker was greeted, 
um, and then the way they won the game that will, I'll never forget that off, off field will be the night we watched um, Japan play Ireland in a bar in Kobe and I think there's a little local bar really narrow really small there's a few locals there there's a group of us and it's great fun it's extraordinary and a uh, really good night plenty of uh, alcohol stocks as well you didn't have to run out to a shop and pick up anything uh, or... <laughs> no, the waitresses did though they? <laughs> <laughs> they did several alcohol runs sadly I, I, I of course missed that because I, I was working I was covering Argentina Tonga doing a, a, some real strong recce work at England's yeah. opponents that yeah. went completely down the drain as soon as Lavanini <laughs> got sent off but uh, what about you Jack? For me I, I, I agree on the, the rugby front that New Zealand game I just felt the whole 80 minutes that I was watching rugby I had a smile on my face I was watching something that I'd never seen before never seen an England team do never even thought I would see an England team do you always kind of feel that for England to beat New Zealand New Zealand need to have a bad day and I think if, even if New Zealand had their best day they might not have beaten England that day it was just an incredible performance and special to be at non, non-rugby um, it's a bit of a difficult one because I think it comes out of out of sorrow uh, and out of tragedy but the way that Japan just carried on after Typhoon Hajibis and you know close to 100 people were killed in that and they just united like I've never seen a country do and I, I was really impressed really touched and quite moved by how they deal with tragedy of this kind and you know there there were minute silences before all the remaining games in the knockout stages and they were perfectly acknowledged you know impeccably no noise whatsoever and I I just thought that was that was quite moving to to be a part of again and also the third place playoff match uh, the the former emperor of Japan turned up at half time (laughs) and I've never seen a stadium just switch off from what was going on on the pitch so quickly the game kicked off and all the fans were still waving at the emperor yeah. uh, I, thought, I thought it was brilliant and it makes you think why did he even bother turning up for, for that match let alone the second half yeah it's a shame <laughs> they weren't at the final yeah uh, I, I would like to see them at the final but I mean it, it was a good way to make an entrance wasn't it yeah, yeah. Turning, t- talk about turning up fashionably late half time in, in a third place playoff fair play but that, uh, uh, I think the body I wasn't there for that game I think the Abiding memory from the World Cup will be Japan, Scotland. It was an incredible match, incredible yeah. atmosphere. It was just written, almost written in the stars that Japan would win it, and what it meant to Japan to reach the quarterfinals for the first time, and also the efforts taken to get that game. And on, you're despite right, yeah. all the um, all, all this, you know, the devastation caused by the by the storm. I think that's the that's the. the the greatest picture from this World Cup. Unfortunately, I wasn't there for it. Can I change my answer to that? <laughs> Were you there for that one? I was there for that one. <laughs> and for the Ireland one, when they beat oh, Ireland. Okay. So, yeah, I'm officially changing my answer. So, to... Kyoto's been binned, has it? Kyoto's been binned. Don't go, Don't there. go there. It's rubbish. Waste of time. <laughs> well, I, I think that's the uh, the perfect way to wrap up the, the World Cup, really. Uh, it's been emotional. It's been a roller coaster. It's been long. It's been tiring. But it's been fascinating brilliant some of the rugby's been excellent and i don't think we would have uh, traded it for anything um, so it's been a pleasure boys thank, thank you, you for joining me on the first series of the indie rugby podcast and long may it continue thanks so, uh, remember you can download and subscribe to this series on apple Podcasts, spotify and acast or wherever you listen and we'll see you again for the six nations in 2020 oh it's God. only four months away
developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.